If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 1875 podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by Alex and Ollie, who will be giving their insight throughout. As the dust has settled on another season, we look back on what might and should have been. Where did it all go wrong? And were we right in the first place to hold such lofty expectations? As well as that, though, we look ahead to perhaps the most important summer since winning promotion back to the Championship. It's going to be a jam-packed show, and obviously, Alex, Ollie, um, great to have you both back. Uh, Alex, how are you feeling, just in yourself? Uh, glad to be, be able to get back to the pub? Yeah, I think it's been a, a massive relief with all the restrictions being eased. I think um, everyone's just been so, I wouldn't say depressed, but kind of, it's, everyone's been a bit low, haven't they, throughout the year so far. So yeah, it's been really good to get a bit more back to normal than we were before. And um, let's just hope that as we go through the rest of this summer, and for the start of next season, that things are uh, even closer to normal for everyone. So, yeah, it's been a tough 18 months, hasn't it, really, for most people. So, yeah, just really glad that things are trending in the right direction with regards to that side of life. And then, as you say, um, personally, uni's been crazy. Um, end of year three and, yeah, a lot of things to get done. And um, it seems like it's been ages since we've done one of these. So uh, it's good to be back doing one, actually, yeah. No, definitely. And Ollie, just as things are getting back to normal, soon your life's going to be thrown <laughs> upside down. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Everything okay with with you in, in your part of the country? Work good? Yeah, work's pretty crazy. I work um, centrally within the vaccine programme. So, yeah, it's quite busy. Um, and I've got my jab, first jab on Monday. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I guess, as Alex said, it's been nice to get out and about a bit more but yeah as you alluded to uh got a first child on the way in two months um so yeah I've got that to look forward to I guess um which is going to be all change but nice to be back doing a pod um talking about disappointing season but um yeah I've been enjoying end of the Premier League season Champions League's been good um uh, yeah anything that isn't Blackburn has been quite nice um playoff yeah, watching championship playoffs and stuff and looking forward to the Euros. So, yeah, plenty of other football to uh, take attention away from, uh, as we know, what happened with our own football club. So, yeah, mm. but no, good to be good to be back on a pod. No, it's good to have you both back on. And I think, lads, I want to jump straight into it and I'm going to ask you both a question first. And it's all about summing your feelings up in one word. Um, going into the season just gone. So before a ball was kicked or when the transfer window closed, how were you feeling about Rovers' season? Did you feel good, bad? Alex, 
what were you feeling going into this season? Just gone. One word. You're on mute, mate. It's the first mess up of the evening, and I'm. Uh, it would always be me, so sorry about that. Um, and as we always say, uh, we just like yeah. to keep these nice and raw. You can, everyone can sit there and yeah, wonder exactly, what's gone yeah. wrong with the their um apple what's apple gone on in Cornwall with the internet. Or... It's, it's too used down. to uh, too used to muting on the uh, live streams. I know, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not. Yeah, that makes the edit though. Yeah. That definitely makes the it edit. Definitely makes the edit. Just embarrass Alex more than anything, and then his little red face at the bottom of the screen as well. <laughs> Alex, so I was thinking, exactly, in one yeah. word. Yeah. In one word, what was your what were your feelings before um, the start of last season? Optimistic after the transfer window closed. And would you be able to sum up your feelings in one word at the end of the season, Alex? Disappointed. I think that's the yeah, very easy. I think yeah, I can I can see that. And Ollie, same question to you. One word before the start of the season or when the transfer window closed. Uh, hopeful. I like that. And um, at the end of the season, tragic. Tragic. <laughs> well, I think we've probably got a pretty good um, good idea on how how the panel felt and I know in the wider fan base there was quite a lot of disappointment after what was a promising start really. Um Alex, what is the main thing for you? Why did you feel so disappointed? Was it because you thought maybe it was a change of the times or is it more because they went away with a whimper? I think there's a few reasons why I was so good at the end. I think the first was that it felt like the squad was coming together for that one push for the season. It felt like that period where you have at football clubs where you have three or four years of building a team, um, kind of frittering away at the players that are less effective in the squad and bringing players in that are more effective. And I felt like at the end of the last transfer window in the summer, I felt I you know, I felt that we had what I thought was probably the best squad that we'd had at least since Gary Boyer, if not since relegation from the Premier League. So all those things put together made me optimistic before the season. I think another aspect of it is that we were well-placed throughout the season, I would say. Um, Throughout October and November, we never really put a run together of any kind, but we never lost enough games to be drawn out of the picture either. And then... You know, another disappointing Christmas leading into a pretty good January had us once again on the cusp of the playoffs. And I think the the run of form since then can only be described as just catastrophic, really. I've, I've never known a Rover side go through such an extended period of shockingly bad form. And not only bad form, but bad performances as well. Uh, it wasn't just that um, the results were not going our way, which was pretty obvious from looking at the league table and the form table, but the performances from early season had dissipated as well. And um, I think you combine that with Dak getting injured again and the turn of the year. And yeah, I just think since, well, to put it bluntly, since Ryan started doing the watch-alongs, it's just been a catastrophe. So I suppose we can blame him at the end of the day. It has, and I guess, Ryan, um, I'm sure you are listening. Um, hello. It is your fault. 
Um, but um, Ollie, Alex mentioned then um, about how the form disappeared, but the performance has also disappeared as well. So early season when we were losing to Bournemouth, um, I think lost to Watford. I think in those games, fans still came away and said, "You know what? We've lost, but if we play like that against the rest of the teams in this division, we're going to pick up plenty of points." Just how short the role was fall in the end because of that. That it wasn't just the fact that we were losing games; it's that we were losing games by these one goal margins. Yet they felt like comfortable defeats. If that makes sense, it was one goal. Wouldn't look like we we're going to score in those games, though. So how how fall did we? Sh- how fall did we show? How short did we actually fall in in the grand scheme of things? Uh, a really, really, really long way short. Um, yeah, a bit like Alex. Um, it's not as if see you know for the seasons prior back in the championship with Moby, it wasn't as if we were you know in the top six a bit and just falling short. We were, you know, we were never really part of the conversation, but it was sort of tentative steps forward. But then, yeah, I thought we've had a good transfer window by the end of it. Um, got a really, I remember talking to, talking to people at work and obviously virtually and thinking we're really good this season. And a couple of those early wins, and I was sort of talking really confidently saying, no, we're really going to be in the mix. And I I think it's been a weak division for probably three seasons. It's it's very difficult to get out of. But um, I think I probably expected Norwich and Watford to be quite strong. I didn't think, I know Bournemouth are leading after the first leg, but I didn't think, I don't, I don't think Bournemouth have actually been that amazing this season. And I thought Brentford would be decent again. But, you know, you look at some of the big sites like Derby, Wednesday and Bristol, some of the teams and Swansea have been all right, kind of as they were last season and made it up there. But it's, but look at Barnsley where they finished, look at where Luton have finished. And it, you don't get seasons that where you get where everything sort of feels like it should come together, where... It doesn't look like that competitive a division, probably aside from like the top two who ended up being the top two. Um, You've got a really good squad. We've got stability in a manager. And we've had a relatively good start to the season. Um, You've got to take, you know, you need to kind of capitalise on those moments because you're not always going to have Adam Armstrong banging in nearly 30 goals and, Bit like just like the season with um, Rhodes, Gested, Josh King, Kearney, where we should have made it into the playoffs. You just those moments don't always come around. Um, and then if we'd just missed out, you'd go, okay, you know, if we'd really given it a good fist from the start of February um, and kind of maybe just fallen short, you'd go, okay, fair enough. It still feels, you know. Maybe we'll keep Armstrong and we can, you know, go again next season and Dak will be back again and improve further. But to to have got to the point of discussing ensuring we get enough points not to start thinking about relegation is that's why I said tragic. It you it's sort of unbelievable that 
we went away to QPR. If you look at sort of the blueprint of that game, of like of all of these one nils that became, as you say, for the opposition, if you take sort of the QPR game all the way through to say away at Wickham, who basically scored a goal and and you know, they were I always felt they were gonna get relegated and sort of sat there for half an hour going, Well, we've won because you guys are not capable, despite all of the talent you've got on the pitch, you're never going to score today. So we've won 1-0. The QPR game was sort of, their goal was a bit fortunate. We missed, we did miss some very good chances. We were the better team. We should have won the match. We didn't. And it was just that theme just carried on, but it got worse and worse and worse that the sort of confidence completely drained out of the side. And then it didn't go from, we were unlucky to lose that game 1-0. It was, I expect us to to go a goal behind in the first half, not score, and then do nothing in the second half and lose. And it it was quite difficult to watch. You know, we've all done plenty of the post-matches and Alex has been involved in the watch-alongs and... Uh, yeah, you sort of almost became slightly sort of disillusioned with what is what is a very good squad of players to be that incapable of winning a football match for so long. I think that word disillusioned that you mentioned then, for me, sums it up perfectly, Ollie. It's more the... I stopped watching. I just... I couldn't bring myself to watch any more... Um, after the Brentford game, I think, when Dak got injured again. After that, I just I became so disinterested. I think I was annoyed that Dak were injured, upset about that. But as well, I just didn't care. It was at a point where I cared towards the end of the season when it was like, shh, you know, we're going we're gonna to get relegated here if we're not careful. And and that's sad. That's what, like you said, that's what's tragic about it. So I think that, that summing up you feel is tragic is quite apt. Alex, I just want to ask you something. We were pretty well placed, as you mentioned, going up to, I'd say, probably January. And like you said, even though we weren't necessarily in the playoffs, we were there or thereabouts. Even if we lost a couple, we'd kept them in touching distance because we picked up a, a three points. Um, and after, after, obviously, after January, we were, what, a point off, I think, going into the February games. Do you think they cracked under the pressure? Because... I think the f- players are aware of fans' expectations and I can't speak for the fan bases, but I feel Blackburn's a very vocal one, especially on social media, um, in terms of the, the amount of fan pages we've got and, and these people that, that are vocal on Twitter and I, I include ourselves in that. Do you think that the pressure told or do you think that there's more to it than that? I think it's a little bit of a superficial way to look at it. I understand why that's why that comparison's made. What I would say to that though is that we in my opinion, the real League One, that was the ultra pressure because we had to get promoted that season. And we had to go promoted in the top two. And we did it. And we went to every game every week looking and expecting to win. And if we didn't win, we'd get booed off the pitch. And we won, and we won, and we won, and we won, and we got 96 points. So some of those players have shown that they can deal with the pressure. We were only asking this season 
to compete for the top six. I wasn't expecting anything more than that. If we'd have finished seventh at the end of the season and we'd been fighting right until the end and we just missed out, I couldn't show my face on this podcast and um, claim that we'd had a bad season, I don't think. So they're athletes, they're professional athletes. I'm not a professional athlete by any means. Um, you, you're as a professional athlete, your job is to deal with the pressure and front of fans. I think, if I'm being honest with you, it's a darn good job that those players weren't playing in front of the fans for a large majority at the end of that season. Because I tell you now that it would have been very, very toxic in Feb, March and April. I didn't. I wouldn't have wanted, wanted to be on that ground. I dread to think what it would have been like. And I think we'd all agree with that. So... If I'm if I'm being brutally honest with you, I think they've been more insulated from it this season than they potentially have in previous seasons with the lack of fans. I think that the final thing I would say as well is that I know we've spoken before about dropping off when we get near the playoffs and losing two or three games. This wasn't losing two or three games when we got into seventh position. This was a four-month extended NAS dive. Um and to be fair, we've had one before under Marbury. We had one at the back end of the first season back into into the championship. We took four points from 11 games with nine defeats in that. And I suppose you can look back and say, were well, they warning signs that when a Rovers side or when a Marbury side, should I say, gets on a bad run of four like that, does Marbury have the man management skills to turn it around or is he so hypercritical of his players and hyper emotional that he almost exacerbates the lack of confidence and and the and the form just spirals and spirals and spirals i think i've got to look at his board at rovers with those two catastrophic runs of form albeit different seasons but you've got to look at that and think, is there an issue with Marbury there? Does he have the ability to turn around a bad run of form when it gets really, really bad? And I have to say the conclusion of this season is no, because we were seventh in January and we finished in 15th. So I don't know what else you want me to say. I think I've gone through the why I think that it was more than just pressure. I just think it was a man management as well as a part of that. No, I think you make a fair point, Alex. It's not the first time it's happened under Mowbray. And, and Ollie, some people might argue that if that's the case, surely the players should have learned from that first time, that they've gone through the, the turmoil and that therefore they should be better equipped to deal with it. Now, do you think the player turnover at Rovers has had an impact on that? And I know people saying player turnover. We've not been selling and getting rid of lots of players. I just mean in terms of the key positions that we keep replacing. So since returning to the Championship, it's been three different number one goalkeepers. Yet to have a consistent partner for Daryl Lenehan. Left back has been up in the air. I can't think. You know, obviously, Cunningham came in. Bell was playing. Derek Williams has been playing there. Obviously, now we've got Pickering coming in. 
um, coming into the next season. Right back is the same, even though it's not players moving on. It's that unsettled nature of it because it's Nyambi ranking Costello. Um, midfield, the midfield is completely different um, now to what it was in that first season back. Um, that's partly because of loan players. That's partly because we brought different players in um, and some players have left. I think Richie Smallwood, Harrison Reed. Harrison Reed, obviously a loan player. Smallwood left. Um, so, yeah, is it's the, it's the player turnover having an impact? Because every single season, it, it feels like there's too many new players in key positions to really learn from Rob's past mistakes. Or like Alex, do you think it's more a case of that Tony Mowbray cannot man-manage when it gets when push comes to shove when we get into these difficult situations? I know it's quite a loaded question, so feel free to, to pick at it um, as, as, you, as you please. No, I think, I think you're right. I think it's a combination of... Probably a lot of that that I'm not going to sit here and say we've been the most unfortunate football club with injuries in the championship for a couple of seasons because everyone has to deal with them and clubs have been better than we have. We've probably been a little bit, you know, our talismanic player is going to spend the best part of two seasons not in the side. But that's probably, I think we've coped with that fine in a lot of ways I think the you're right the chopping and changing you know Walton was not very good um <laughs> really um it sort of he sort of went from oh okay he's not been quite as good at Wigan to sort of nearly slightly disastrous um but then we solved that with Kaminsky but then that inability to have a settled back four, you know, I think Nyambe's probably played the most games he's ever managed to play in a 46-game season this season. Um, probably through necessity more than anything, I think we all worried that, you know, he's something's going to happen to him where he's going to miss, you know, a month or two. Um, yeah, the partnership for Lenehan, it happened all of last season. It's happened, generally happened all of this season. Um and left back being, you know, I, Barry Douglas, generally pretty unimpressed, um, certainly defensively. Um, and that that really should have solved that problem all season. Um, and it didn't at all. Um, and yeah, it's, I think that really doesn't help. And then, you know, Travis out didn't help. And it was never, took him quite a while to get back to the Travis we know. I think if you look at our win percentage with Bradley Johnson playing versus not, um, he provided that bit of steel, leadership, bit of kind of discipline and talking and organisation in front of the back four when he's not in the side. I think it's quite noticeable. Um, well, you know, certainly uh, this season. And it's... So you have those problems to contend with. But then I think I don't think Mowbray helps himself by dealing with them very well. Um, generally, he you know he seems to be I don't know. Often his team selection seems to be more around sort of keeping everyone happy, and as opposed to kind of being a bit more cut cutthroat and ruthless and saying you know this is my you know this is my sort of thirteen fourteen that I really very rarely deviate from bar like a little bit of rotation um and injuries whereas it's you know 
Gallagher Brereton, Gallagher Brereton, both one, none. It just it just doesn't help. You know, you need struggling to score goals. Yes, we've got one player that scores lots of goals, but you know, is Joe Rothwell the best attacking midfielder? Is it John Buckley? Why does Rothwell suddenly go out of the side? You know, when he when he isn't injured, it just. And then you look at you look at the teams that finish in the top six and they're getting promoted, and you look at yes, they'll have had injuries, but you look at how settled the sort of first 12, 13 is. Um, and then if it injury, it's just like, right, replace like with like, keep the system, keep the structure. And I just think that's where Mowbray's really, I feel like I've, I feel sort of, he's let the sort of squad and the fans and the sort of the club down, which is why Alex is right, that it would have been very toxic because like he just hasn't done enough. And I think that that sort of, we all know, we've talked about it all season, you know, championship, very tight division, fine margins. You have to do everything you can to push the fine margins your way. Mowbray is a manager. If I'd liken him to anyone in terms of his attitude, it'd be more like a sort of Arsene Wenger where Mowbray sort of seems to talk about conceptually how the football match should be played and what the referees should have done instead of I'm going to like fight, kick and scream to make, to do whatever it takes to win every single point I possibly can. And, you know, I look at Swansea and Brentford and, you know, we've, we had those games where we're bemoaning decisions, but they don't care that, you know, they're coached to, it's not only is the, the structure and the discipline there, it's do everything to tip every margin your way, whether it's a throw in, whether it's a corner, whether it's a cheap free kick, whether it's a little cheap free kick on a turnover of play to avoid conceding a goal. And we just, I don't think we've been sort of canny enough at doing that type of things. And to me, that comes from the manager and the coaches, but probably also we are quite a young squad. I think, you know, I look back to, that first season back, and I think Moby had a weird habit of he would substitute Graham and Dak together, sort of around kind of late 75, late 70 minutes. And you, we, you would suddenly, we'd look really, really vulnerable and kind of lacking that leadership at the top of the pitch. And I think when you, if you start to, OK, Kaminsky's been there all season, and then we saw what happened when Pears had to play in goal. Um, if you suddenly lose kind of Lenehan or a good partner for Lenehan, and then you've not got Travis, who is probably the one player that is fighting for everything on the pitch, and a Bradley Johnson, and then he's not there, then you don't have Dak. You've sort of, sometimes it's Rothwell, sometimes it's someone else. And then Armstrong is a goal scorer, fantastic player, but I wouldn't, not necessarily a leader so much on the pitch. And You've lost someone like Danny Graham and Gallagher and Brereton. They're young. Um, they're not. We're just lacking a little bit of maybe experience and know-how to kind of manage games. But but Mowbray equally on the sidelines, I don't think has done enough this season when things aren't going quite right. And you know, all he seems to do is make four subs to bring, you know, I'll bring on the attackers that are on the bench. I'll bring them on. 
and I'll take some of the attackers in a midfielder off and hopefully we'll win the match. It's just praying like that, that if you throw an off of the wall, it's going to stick type thing, isn't it? It's, there's no... There's no not, it's sort of, there isn't, it's not like there isn't sort of... Like you say, you lost, I sort of did watch through the rest of the season, but you don't, you sort of, you watch other sides and you sort of, you sort of systematically understand what they're doing. And like a Barnsley this season, when you look at how, how good coaching and a system, if you stick to it, or like Leeds, Leeds, before they went into the Premier League and what they've done this season, if how good coaching and like that discipline and structure can, how much you can maximise players who, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think are much better as a squad than our players, but what kind of structure, discipline, and really top quality coaching can do. And I always thought, yeah, I think Mowbray. I I always thought he's probably got more about him than he's shown this season, um, which I think is why we've all got to where we got to um, probably by, you know, late March, April. I think everyone was pretty much done. Um, he, he started yeah. some very weird press conferences, didn't he, as well, Mowbray? It just didn't sit right, a lot of the stuff that he was saying. Mm. Yeah, and it just leaves you... Yeah, and I guess since it's happened now, we can't change what's happened. But were you know were COVID not around and we'd been at the games, it wouldn't have been. It would have. It would have felt like I think it would have felt like an even bigger regression than it has felt because it would have. It would have felt very kind of. I don't. It's never as bad as Steve Keen, but it would have felt you'd have been getting into that territory of. Anger. We're just really angry, and you know we've all been at matches throughout all of that. You know the last decade, and it's not. You're still going there. You're still there. You still want the team to win, but you know, it's not nice. Um, and it, yeah, I don't know. He he can be thankful that it didn't. That he sort of hasn't kind of felt that kind of ferocity from the fans. Um, that would have definitely been there for sure. It's that toxic atmosphere that it could, could potentially have created, and I think I think both of you actually have summed it up quite well. The feelings towards the last season, and I guess a little bit towards Mowbray, um, for me, he's someone that I respect a hell of a lot. Um, that I started to res- to respect a little bit less as the season the season went on, and I just hope that that next season he can sort of gain that back and, and prove us all wrong, um, which does actually lead us, us quite nicely on to um, the next topic in the podcast. I do want to look ahead um, to next season. I think it's fair to say expectations aren't going to be quite as high. And with something of a rebuild ahead, recruitment, as it always is, is going to be very important. Um, Alex, I spoke, you spoke about pressure before. I know you didn't. And you sort of said didn't buy into it. But if we just go back to that, do you think there is going to be a little less pressure on them to perform? Or do you think there's going to be more pressure because Rovers fans aren't going to give them an inch? If 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 next season is a bad start, it's going to be very, very ugly. Depends what the players decide what causes pressure, what the manager's expectations are, what the fans' expectations are. I've if the manager comes manager, out and says yeah, that he wants I, playoffs... 
I say, I mean, I've already seen in the local media that the manager's covered his backside for the season already because he realised what a mistake he made last season by talking about talk. So he's already got that um, dampener on expectations in, in May, believe it or not. Uh, Christ almighty. Um, yeah, he's, he's not going to be as dumb this, this season. And um, if the players use the manager's barometer of success as their barometer of success, which is... I suppose there's no reason why they wouldn't do that. Then I think there will be less pressure, yeah. Um, I think we'll be, having said that there will be less pressure, we will also have less resources at our disposal, whether it be 30-more season strikers or whether it be money in the transfer market or whether it be wages on the wage bill. So I think I couldn't, have a conversation with you and seriously say that I expect top six. That would be utterly ridiculous for me to say. Other clubs have been doing this for far longer. They've got far more competent people in the positions that count at these football clubs. And we aren't in that position. Again, we're going through another stage of a rebuilding job again. Um, you know, we've got a manager that is in the la- going into the last year of his contract. Um, which the club haven't renewing, which tells you an awful lot, doesn't it? Um, not enough money to sack him and not enough money to extend his contract. Um, but yeah, I think, how can we look at that situation and say, next season's going to be great and renew your season tickets, guys. It's going to be wonderful. It's not. It's not going to be wonderful. If we're using this season as a benchmark, and you say, well, he achieved 15th place, this group of players, if you take out Adam Armstrong from that, and you take out Harvey Elliott from that, and you take out Howard Bellis from that, and I'm not even going to mention any other players that might be leaving either, how is he going to achieve the same 15th place position without those players? Because he's shown that he can't actually put aside together in this division some of its parts and I've seen a lot on the watch-alongs and on the post-match reviews that we are never going to have the biggest budget in the championship ever we're not so let's get that into our minds right now the only way that Rovers get promoted is by punching above our weight so we can talk about oh we we shouldn't expect this we shouldn't expect that the only way we ever achieve anything from this point forward is by punching above our weight because we're not going to buy our way out of this league, not with financial fair play and all the things that come with that. So the only way that a club like Rovers does that, punches above its weight, is A, recruit better than everybody else, B, have a better manager than everybody else. They are the two key things that any football club no matter how much money they've got to spend, can have control over who the manager is and how well they recruit and how well they do their due diligence on on signings and selling players and loan players. And our job for this summer is to show that, that the club is as well run as any other club in this league. My fear is it isn't. And I think my fear will be borne out in the outcome of the summer and next season. But we're sitting here in the middle of May Let's see what the next few months bring. If the summer's a disaster in recruitment terms, then 
I'm sure you'll have us back on again to rant about that and we'll say how badly the club's but in the interim, we've had a bad end to the season. Let's cool off for two months and try and put Rovers as the back of our minds as much as possible, but then come back in July as the transfer window circus gets underway and let's see what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think I've outlined there why my feelings on the manager will never really shift. And as I said before, if they're not extending his contract, then they've got the same opinion of him as we do. I th- so I think it's, it's yeah, I don't fair. really think much else needs to be said on the manager. No, I think it's certainly fair. I know you say not much else needs to be said, but I'm going to ask Ollie a question about him anyway. Um, but I do agree with you, Alex. It's it, they're extending it now, and we know he's running it up. It, it does feel like the writing's on the wall, even if it's not imminently. Um, it's certainly at the end of the season. Uh, Ollie, we spoke before about if fans were there last season, it would have been very hostile and toxic, and you spoke again quite aptly and in detail about that um, if it is a poor start do you think the manager's days are numbered before the end of the season do you think it's a case of if it's a poor start Venkis will pull the trigger because the fans will be very very vocal um, or it would be a case of Venkis don't listen to the fans they never did, didn't with Keane um, didn't with Coyle for a very long time is, is, he, is he definitely seeing out the remainder of his contract or if, it, if it's that poor start is he going to be given his marching orders and told to to seek pastures new? It's a tough one because I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure we can necessarily predict how the owners may respond because for the, yeah, I guess there's a bit of an unknown for the manager and the players because they don't know how I get. I don't know whether Mowbray is kidding himself or whether he genuinely would have like, oh yeah, I'd have had a pretty rough ride actually. Um, and I mean, you talk about a bad start being a run of results. I think if we're at home first game of the season and we're one nil down at half time, that I think it's that quick. I'm not, I'm not saying that, it, you know, one game makes the summer. I'm just saying that there's going to be pent up it's, it's, it's built up frustration that we've not been able to get yeah. out of course of that, 18 months. You know, we're at home to first home game, promoted side from League One or, you know, a mid, you know, a Millwall or a Luton or Coventry or something. And we're 1-0 down and huffing and puffing and we don't have Adam Armstrong anymore and Dax sat in the stands It'll straight. It won't. It'd be like turning on a light. It, you know, and so how quickly that's and that doesn't help anything. You know, fans. There is a lot of built-up frustration because this season from February has been a disaster, um, really. Um, and you know, you've seen the sort of good and bad with supporters coming back into stadiums. Who've you know, Brighton fans getting to see a late win over Man City, Tottenham booing today because yeah, they're, they're not very good. It, you know, there's kind of, look at, you know, Leicester in the cup final and how good it is their fans could be there in it. 
the emotion is all you've seen it you can sort of hear it even though the stadium's you know barely you know very under capacity it's loud um you know i think it could be you know lose sort of two or three out of the first four and i don't know i think it might happen quite quickly really because i just don't they can't afford for us to you know we can't spend all season fighting relegation um and it's you know a bad start to me is just a continuation of what is you know bottom of the table form from you know if we if you've got sort of one win in your first five six seven games that's just the continuation of the form from february you're, you're sort of you're not getting into it's a bad start to the season you're sort of saying actually cumulatively across you're talking about sort of half a season's worth of fixtures with guaranteed relegation form so it's and and that as supporters will be stood there in stands going we're angry because we think we're going to get relegated do, do, because... do you think that that'll make venkis pull the trigger though do you think that that would cause him to do that or is is it a case of that Unless things are going really, really bad, and by that I mean we are rock bottom of the table after 10, 15 games, having won only one or two. At that point, do you think Venkis will pull the trigger? Or do you think no matter what happens this season, Tony Mowbray will see out the remainder of his contract? I think I think if it was that bad and we were it was sort of actually relegation is looming, I think he potentially would walk before the owners would sack him. But I do think when he, obviously it comes down to money to some degree, I think they'd rather pay to get rid of him to avoid being relegated than deal with the financial implications of, you know, what that could bring. Um, but actually, you know, he walked out of Coventry. I think with the fans there, we don't know. He could have he could have walked before the end of last season if there'd been fans there the whole time. I think, I think it, you said that it's been sheltered. It, it changes. It, yeah, it changes. It does change like the atmosphere around the club. I think, but I'm not. You know, I've, all I've said is that. No, I'm not hopeful. I was hopeful for this. The season just gone. I'm not hopeful for this season. But you know, you can look at if Andy was on. You know. There are lots of things you can look statistically that would say Blackburn should have finished in the top half of the of the table for you know goal goal well, scored I, I goal difference XG. XG yeah, and, the, and say that it's got no credence and and whatever your opinion on that, I don't think it's useless. I don't necessarily think it's useful either. I think it's in that middle ground where I'm not too sure what I think because it definitely has uses. But if if we look at the XG table. This, I guess, saying this to both of you, we're fifth, which shows that, yeah. that despite having this 29 goal striker, we didn't score enough or didn't score when we should have scored. And I think that comes comes back to, I guess, the way that we play. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's a real tough one. And I've started talking about it, but I'm not too sure where I'm going with it. Um, but it, it's like you say, it, it's the stats that I think probably feed into the frustration because you look again, we speak about the hopeful, how hopeful we were and the optimism and then how 
distraught how tragic it was at the end. Then you look at these stats that suggest that we did seriously underachieve. And if anything, that adds on to that. And it's almost like, well, yeah, we were bad then because stats say we should be better. And uh, stats are brilliant in football. I think the work that Andy and Joe do is, is superb. So I had to check them both out and Andy's new uh, recruitment document will be coming out soon. So you should definitely go and, and check that out because the work that he does on that is is superb. But it, it it's when we look at the stats and we look at what we could have been, should have been, I think that adds to the frustration. And going into next season, we've got to hope those stats continue, but the results align with that. Um, I want to throw a scenario out to you both, um, or two different scenarios. Um, the first scenario, I'm going to come to you, Alex, um, and it's with regards to Adam Armstrong. Obviously, lots of talk about him. He's scored a lot of goals this season. Um, I think he's done a bit of stat padding myself. Um, scored two hat-tricks when the season was over. So, I think I'm Adam Armstrong's harshest critic. Um, but he did. It's all well and good, scoring six goals in, your, in the last three games. Um, he wasn't doing it for a prolonged period when we were losing and we really needed him. I am being unfair. Um, I can't score in Blackburn Sunday League. So, um, but it's added value onto him. So we sell Armstrong for £20 million, um, Alex, and bring in three or four players with decent fees. Um, or Armstrong stays, but we're restricted to loans and free agents. We are unable to spend any substantial money on anyone. Maybe 100000 here, a couple hundred thousand there. But we are really restricted to, to loans and free agents. Out of those two scenarios, what what do you lean towards? Do you want your Adam Armstrong because you want to build a team around him because you know he can score 29 goals? Or are you leaning towards the the sell him and, and bring in two or three solid players that we can build a, a solid foundation around? My issue with that hypothetical is you only have the certainty for one season and can Blackburn Rovers, who are 120-odd million pounds in debt, afford to potentially lose Adam Armstrong next summer for nothing? I think we've got to have that conversation. I don't like the penny-pinching talk, but you have to bring it up when we're talking about figures this size um, because it, it really does matter, particularly you know, the context that we're now having this conversation in post or still in COVID. So you've got to have this talk about money and financial implications. So my first answer would be I would prefer to sell and bring in players for money. But again, I don't know what the budget is for next season. We don't know whether the club have been asked to save six million quid, which would mean selling Armstrong for 20, paying Newcastle the sell-on fee, putting another six away for a red day, and then you've got the rest. Now, that's probably chicken feed. That could get you... What, what, what could two million pounds get you now? You couldn't even get the best player in League One for that money. So... I have to say, it's not as simple yeah, it as two and people are making it out to be. It's really as simple as it's been made out to be, and it's really difficult. And that's why I said before that we've got to get the recruitment spot on this summer. That we do go for free transfers. 
we've got to use every penny of that wage bill, of that wage budget that we've got. To just to the best of our ability, we can't afford to be throwing away 15 grand a week on downing and 15 grand a week on Holtby and, you know, and 14 grand a week on Mulgrew. We, we can't afford that next season. We, but those, those wages have been freed up. Those wages, though, have been freed up. Surely that, that feeds into that as well because Mulgrew's gone, 14,000, 15,000. Holtby will have been one of the highest earners. Stuart Downing, I imagine, would have been similar. Um, perhaps not as much as he was last season, but I'm sure it was on a hefty amount um, by our standards anyway. Do you not think the fact that we then got rid of that... A player like Holtby, who is one of those footballers that's brilliant and superb in a winning team, because you know what he can do, but it's when you're in that losing team that doesn't quite make that difference. He's similar to Rashina, not the same player, but he's a luxury player that sometimes you cannot afford to have. Um, so getting rid of them frees some of that up. Um, but I'm going to push you for an answer, Alex. Out of the two scenarios that I've given you, you can't. We're not we're in fancy land here, Alex. Come on. So if we were to get the money, just yeah, say the go money on, is go into the thingy. What would you rather? Would you rather us see, keep, see us keep Armstrong, yeah. or would you rather us sell Armstrong but know that we can bring in a couple of players for for two million each or three million each? Sell and bring in, but I don't think that'll end up in any way. But that'll be my preferred option. So, would you, would, in the realistic world, then, are you very much of the opinion that we keep Adam Armstrong and, and let him go on a free, or would you still sell him this summer, knowing that a lot of it won't be reinvested? My 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 opinion on what's most likely is that it will be sold and none of it will be reinvested, and I think that's my big fear. But I think the soundings we're hearing like Bell getting a new contract and then him not getting a new contract. I mean, what's all that about? He suddenly appeared for the last two I think games. It feels like was, and everyone was, was saying, oh, he's getting a contract next season as a backup. And then he wasn't. So it was discussion clearly some weird. But it wasn't yeah. necessarily flat out. It wasn't, wasn't ironclad. Yeah, but I understand that. I accept that point. But don't you think that a lot of the things we're hearing and seeing from the club at the moment are a little bit uncertain uh, in terms of what we'll have for next season? So my reality, my my position on in reality is that he will probably sold for a decent amount of money. He'll go with my best wishes. He's deserved the shot. He's deserved, you know, he scored 28, 29 goals in this league. and deserve the crack of the whip at a high level. Um, and we'll see if he's good enough. But so he'll go in my best wishes. But as it comes to Rovers, I think that the in all likelihood, what will happen is that he'll be sold. Some of that money will be used to pay running costs, as every other big money sale in the last ten years has done. You know how many players were flogged for massive money between twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen. And how much money was reinvested into that squad? You know, why did we end up in League One in the first? I know. Let's I do not forget point. what happened. But since since then, though, to be fair, I can only think of one one sale that's that's been big, and that's the Raya one. So, but I do take a point that previous to that, the likes of Hanley was sold, Duffy was sold, Rhodes, Kishted. They fetched. I mean, and, and even the even the David Reyes sale, it was three million quid. You know, we're talking here oh, yeah. about twenty. You know, and Rods was what eleven, and 
Gestead was seven million, and you know, Raya was a sale. It was a sale that the manager himself initiated by his own admission to get Sam Gallagher in. Can you believe that? And it wasn't, in terms of the bigger picture, a big difference to our day-to-day finances. But I think you would appreciate that a £20 million sale is much different in terms of the the day-to-day running of the club and on the back of the last 18 months. There's a, there's a huge difference between obviously the three million and twenty million pounds, um, and for it's for me, I'd keep him. Uh, I'd risk letting him go on a free. I just think that because it's Venky's paying, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's well, yeah. There's that, but also I just think that for me, I just if we're to have a chance of a good season, you can't. I know I said mentioned before about the stat pad, and I was it was tongue in cheek. I think Armstrong's been superb this season. I think. To be honest with you, I think he deserved player of the season. Kaminsky, brilliant. Um, but I think Armour probably was the best player. Um, I think the issue is he went missing at a vital time. Um, then so did everyone else. So you can't lay the blame on Armstrong. Um, but I'd, like, I'd like to keep that him. Topped just off the, that topped off the end of the season for me. The fans had nothing to do for 10 months and we couldn't get the player of the season right. Well, I mean, there you go. <laughs> I thought Kaminsky yeah. was a well, well deserved second place. I thought that Armstrong, obviously, overall with his goal scoring exploits, he deserved absolutely it. Um, right, absolutely. But it's one of them, and like I said, with Armstrong, he, like I said, I made the stat panic comment. It's obviously his tongue in cheek because he has been superb this season for us. Um, Ollie, there's another scenario I want to put towards you, and it's a scenario that's been mentioned in the media um, by Alan Nixon. I know lots of you might not have seen it because you're probably blocked for being a foot, um, as he calls you all. Um, are either of you blocked by Nixon? No, no, both, both of you, both of you allowed to, to view his, his Twitter profile. Um Whatever your opinion on him, um, he does obviously provide us with, with Rovers news, which at least gets us talking whether or not it's accurate. Um, he mentioned about Joe Rothwell, essentially saying that Rovers may be open to offers for him um, if it meant that we would be able to tie Armstrong down to a new contract, for example. So offering a bit more cash and maybe bring in a couple more players. Um in that scenario, would you happily see Rothwell be sold on the condition that Armstrong got a new deal and that he re-signed? Because obviously, if that happens, Armstrong's value shoots up. And again, we're speaking in, we're not having a, a conversation about, well, that probably wouldn't happen. I want to know if, if we would sell Rothwell and Armstrong was guaranteed to be given a new deal, a new three-year deal, let's say, obviously adds value to Armstrong all of a sudden you can add maybe 10 million onto his price tag because we aren't desperate to sell at that point. We have a couple of seasons. Would you accept the sale of a Rothwell type player if it meant that Adam Armstrong was tied in for three years? Or for you, is, is Joel Rothwell too hard to replicate in terms of raw talent and raw ability? Um, I think the question as asked... I mean, I find another Rovers fan that loves Joe Rothwell more than me. <laughs> but uh, That's why I asked no, you. yeah, you'd obviously, yeah, you'd obviously, um, obviously, you'd get rid of him if that, if the rumor is to be believed, um, because 
I mean, I was actually just looking. I think I just the championship top scorers, obviously Armstrong second. Only three players got over twenty goals. Puki or twenty or more. Puki, Tony, Armstrong, and then the, basically the top eleven. Apart from so ten of the top eleven, putting Armstrong to one side, are promoted in the playoffs or Zhao and. Um, Oh, the ladder, um, Cardiff, so seventh and eighth. And it shows you, a bit like when we had Rhodes and Guested, you know, we always, t we talk about our debt, we talk about money, we talk about the owners. <laughs> the solution, and like, not to kind of get, I'm not getting ahead of ourselves. The solution is to get promoted to the Premier League, even just for one season. Mm -hmm. even just for one season and we're a disaster and we break Derby's points total and we come back down, that solves lots of problems. Financially. Just getting so, there. Yeah. yeah. You just need to get there once. If, if, you know, if Armstrong's with us next season, I think it's safe to assume he scores 20 goals. I'm not going to say, but probably won't score 30, but I think it's probably safe to say, I think he'll get 20. You know, to get promoted, you need some. You know, look at the t look at the sides that are up there this season. You do need someone that's going to get you in that kind of ballpark, and they cost a lot of money now. So if you're getting rid of Rothwell to basically guarantee we still have a twenty goal a season striker, to me in that scenario, Rothwell is easily replaceable because. You've got John Buckley, who I think is a very good player and was showing flashes of slightly different player. Um, and then, you know, we are missing Dak in, in you know, Rothwell, Dak, Buckley probably all want to play in the same position. Um, and then if, we've, if you've got a little bit of money, you know, you maybe look at, say, a Ronan Curtis, who I think definitely wants to leave Portsmouth now they're not coming up. I know he hasn't been as good this season, but I think he's going to leave. We were interested in him before. Would Ronan Curtis replace the potential of goals and assists in Joe Rothwell? Possibly. Um, I don't want to annoy you, but it wouldn't be difficult, would it? I mean, in terms of just... No, I, well, I think he gets a bad... <laughs> I'm his biggest apologist. He's one of... He's a bit like... Um, bit like Amari Bell that he... And even with, even with like the I follow commentators... Rothwell, if anything is going wrong, everyone is saying Rothwell's not doing enough. Even if the entire team are garbage and we've lost 12 games 1-0, people are going, Rothwell's not doing enough. It's like, nobody's doing enough. And it, you know, is that not what's frustrating about Joe Rothwell, though? That we have this expectation because we've seen how good he can be. I think, was it Sheffield Wednesday where he takes on basically the entire team and slots it? Middlesbrough, where he got his goal in a good game there as well. Nottingham Forest a couple of seasons ago when he scored a goal this season. Is that not why we look at... I know we're certainly getting away from the question here and going more into Joe Rothwell thing. Is that not why there's so much frustration with Joe Rothwell? Because we know he can do it, but he's just nowhere near consistent enough. And I think, for me, when you've got a player like Joe Rothwell, who seems to be sort of playing hardball when it comes to the contract because he expects more from the club, I look at him and I think, Fair enough, yeah, you've done a lot for us and I think you're a very exciting player. You'd be hard to replace, but in the grand scheme of things, 
you aren't consistent enough for me to say, yes, let's throw money at this player to keep him and let's guarantee him a starting spot every week. You can't start someone because they might take on the team. You've got Harry Chapman for that. No, but I think... I like what I was saying earlier around, and this is me being, you know, rose-tinted. Rothwell isn't always, you know, he wants to play number 10 and he wants to play there for 46 games. That, you know, Moby never does that at the moment. You know, obviously, when you've got, definitely not got Bradley Dack, okay, whether it's 4-3-3, he still wants to operate in that role with enough space to run at defenders. You need, when we've been playing really badly, you need, if we're playing out from the, if Kaminsky's rolling out to full backs and centre backs, they need to play through the first line of the press and feed the ball to Joe Rothwell's feet and go, Joe, we know what you can do. They're like he is, his ability to like receive on the half turn run with the ball at speed, just glide past half a team. And I, I think his, he is getting better. His, like, his choice of pass, his weight of pass, always wanting to play forwards. And whether it's the assist of the assist or he would have had a lot more assists if some of our strikers could hit a barn door. <laughs> um, you can't like you can't coach what he how he carries the football. It like he just he has that kind of ability. That but you need you need to structure the side and have him there every week and go look. The what you need to do is feed Joe stay in these positions and you know Travis Davenport whoever it is. The primary objective is feed the ball to his feet. I think I think you are right there because he's got that natural raw ability that you can't teach. You are right, and it's I I'd just like to see give him you know start next if he's here next season. Give you know first fifteen games you're playing number ten, and you know we are really you are a prime and he's probably sort of said this. He you know he really is going to be a primary element of our attack next season is it's sort of I'm paraphrasing he said you know there are big things expected of next season as in we are sort of structuring some of the attack around him as a player but he needs to do more yes he does need to do more um no I just a bit like you know people say oh you know play Brereton centrally for 10 games if there isn't Armstrong you do, we do need to but that, you know, Moby will sort of try it once and then because Rothwell didn't get, you know, eight assists in the game, it's like, oh, he can't, you know, he's not doing enough, so I'll I'll put him on the bench for two games. And it you you do have to structure something and like stick with it and which is something we're not very good at doing. But yeah, in a st- straight answer to the question, I yeah, I would if we can keep Armstrong. I would. And for some, for some reason, I've convinced himself that he's going to stay. I don't know why. Um, I, I can go in the Hall of Fame free. for that. I've, got, I've just, I think, um, I can only see, I can't account for the promoted sides. But I, the only team I can see him realistically wanting to go to would be Brighton, because I think he'd play. And I, I don't think he wants to move and sit on the bench. 
which he will do with virtually every team in the Premier League. And he'll also have to play as a wide forward quite a lot. I've convinced myself that he wants to be number nine, play every week, which I can only really see Brighton doing that with him. If they come in with... If they come in with 20 million quid, then I think he might go. But otherwise, I've, yeah, I've, I sort of think he might stay. What happens contract-wise, no idea. But I've got a weird... I think he'll be a yeah, weirdly, I think he's going to stay. I do tend to agree. Um, again, I could be made to look a bit of a mug. Because um, he could wear me. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, well, but put, put our master to stand there, aren't we? Um, but yeah, you, I think he could stay, but I think he'll... Don't think they'll sign a new contract. I think they'll want a free. I don't think Rose will, will flog him. I think they'll try and get him to sign a new deal. Maybe he will, just because he, he feels he owes it. And he's already said he loves playing for the club, but so did Alan Shearer, um, and he left. So it's so fun. And I think, I think boys, I think I'll end it at that. I think that it's quite a nice, nice way to end it, and, and almost in a positive-ish way as positive as this podcast can be, as we've been talking about rubbish ends to the season and how really, um, really bad it's been. And I guess, I guess finishing, actually, I'll ask one more question. It's just on um, your expectations for the coming season. No one's been sold. Uh, no one's been bought. In a word again, Ollie coming into this season or into the season, um, next season, I guess, because it's still the off-season at the moment. What are your thoughts? What Are you confident? Are you apprehensive? Give us that one word again. And I'll ask the same question when we do our transfer window podcast um, whenever the deadline day, whenever deadline is for that. Uh, the one word. Probably recalibrate. I think you know, if if the squad is exactly the same as we finish this season, bar you know, like Loney's, you know, finish in the top, finish easily in the top half with an eye towards the top ten, which is where we were before what's happened. You know, beginning of February, we were five points off the top six because we had a squad of players that was good enough to be part of that conversation. That's, you know, arguably we should be sort of in and around the top 10 because I think we have a squad good enough capable of being there. So that just need to recalibrate sort of what, whatever happened from February to the end of the season. But we, the most I can hope for is, we just get get ourselves back to being there. Um, back to being respectable. <laughs> yeah, back to being respectable. Back to being res- respectable and failing at, the, at, the, at the, the, the mere whiff of getting in the top six, we fail, as opposed to just nosediving to the bottom of the table. That's fair. And Alex, you, your expectations then for this coming season... Obviously, like I said, it's a bit harsh to ask you because no one's been bought, no one's been sold. Um, feelings in a word or a, a couple of words? I've got one word that sums my expectations for next season. 19. Oh, 
19th, there we go. And I think on that absolutely sour note, as Alex leaves us all going to bed crying, um, we will actually finish it there. Um, obviously, once again, I'd, I'd love to just thank Alex Nolith. Obviously, they come on, they do all the hard work in having me ask them some tough questions. I hope they're tough. Um, but I guess we'll see. You, you let me know. Uh, put in the comments of YouTube. Let me know on Twitter. Um, do I give them too easy for Rad or is it, is it just rough enough? Um, obviously, I'd like to fa- uh, thank our sponsors, Six Yards Out and Blue Rose Capital. Your continued support is obviously much appreciated. Um, but most importantly, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Um, I look forward to seeing you at, e- at Ewood next season for the first time in however long. Um, do come say hello, say hello if you see any of us. Um, I know that me and Alex, if Alex is still going next season, that is, given his, his sad opinion. Um, me and Alex do sit quite near each other um, in the the Blackburn end. Um, so do come say hello. I'm sure that we'd be happy to, to have a quick chat about, about Rovers if you want to. Or come up, smack us um, for not agreeing with your opinions. Really is up to you. Um, but yeah, have a fantastic um, off-season and we'll probably see you again for another one of these very, very soon. Take care, everyone. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods, including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffrees. Made with Hershey's Heath Bars. Unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks. Coffee house style cold brews. Hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. Everything is customizable, so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7, 365.